Yeah, man. I think uh, <laughs> I think they did great. <laughs> <laughs> Do a real come out of that. Yeah, no. Yeah, man. I think they uh, <laughs> they did awesome. <laughs> oh, <God>. oh man. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. You are not expecting that. God, man. I was not at all. That, that's going to be great for the vocal rap. Um, <laughs> I don't think this is going to make the cut anyway. Yeah. I don't. Hey, friends. Welcome back to another episode your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. We're your hosts, Woody Brown and Tyler Bentz. How's it going, dude? Dude, it's going awesome. Right out of the gate, a a quick little thing that we talked about in the last episode, I thought you were going to ask me already but you haven't whether or not i watched that movie sudden death Ooh! Now, if you man. don't know what i'm talking about you're gonna have to go back into the last episode where i talked about what this movie is but essentially how to was answer, it? uh it's pretty tough bro <laughs> here's the thing it's definitely just like a rated r action movie uh let me give you a little quick small short premise Mm. and and this is why it gets tough and rough okay so basically this lady essentially like gets Mm. raped Mm. anyways this lady gets like she's like a rape victim okay and the whole premise of the movie is like the guy that she's with kind of treats her poorly Mm -hmm. after that like it was her fault kind of deal Mm. so she just goes on this like rampage of vengeance because well, that's cool. apparently in like New York City in the eighties, you could just you know be walking down the street and basically it took like catcalling to a whole new level. Anyways, she just goes on this like rampage and starts killing these folks catcalling uh, that are yeah well <laughs> not even like that are trying to like take advantage of her and drug her. There's like this underground like thing where dudes are like I, I don't know. I, I kind of stopped it after about thirty minutes because some of the uh, We'll just call it taking advantage of mm. scenes or a little much for my uh, yeah I'd, for my for my taste there. So, um, anyways, it was it was interesting. I guess it was kind of like a cool idea. But um, I mean, I do love a good like revenge tale. Oh yeah, man. I mean, it's kind of my favorite uh, mm-hmm. favorite thing, really. You know, things that come to mind: Punisher, the Crow, the Crow. Um, and those are the two. Thanks for stopping by, yeah, that's folks. That's it. All right. Well, that's it. That's our show for the week. Okay. So now I'm really excited about this week's show mm-hmm. because, well, first let me just say this. 1986, arguably, is one of the, I don't want to say best years for movies that were released, but I got to tell you, it might be one of like the top I don't know, two or three years in terms of like what movies uh, were released and what movies I saw as a kid that just like had a huge, huge impact. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just going to list a couple and you're just going to immediately, you and the listener are going to immediately agree with me. You ready? Mm -hmm. Let's do it. 
Top Gun. Mm. Ever heard of it? <laughs> Cobra. <laughs> Cobra. Critters. Platoon. The Fly. Stand By Me. Credit Part 2. Labyrinth. Highlander. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Whoa. Big Trouble in Little China. Whoa. Short Circuit. Crocodile Dundee. The Great Mouse Detective. Transformers the Movie. Maximum Overdrive. The Money Pit. Legend. I mean, wow. the list goes on and on and on, dude. It's it's really, like, honestly, when I started looking at this, it's kind of remarkable. It's, it's kind of blowing my mind. And, and two other movies that at some point we have to do, Thrashing, the skateboard movie mm-hmm. yep. with Josh Brolin, and Whoa. Rad. He's in it? Oh, yeah, dude. He's the main character. I didn't know that. I mean, yeah, I haven't seen Thanos it in years. Right a skateboard. Wow, that's amazing. And I mean, dude, I'm not even joking. I have a list here of just tons and tons and tons of movies that came out that year that just had a huge impact on me as, I guess, at that time, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, maybe mm-hmm. whenever mm-hmm. I finally saw them. And one of them that we're going to talk about today, man, I was obsessed with, and my brother and I probably have seen it a million times. I mean, this is just one of the greatest movies Oh, yeah. That came out at the time. Mm-hmm. And ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to talk about The Fly. After these messages, we'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very intense For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. You are listening to That Would Be Rad. David, what time did you enter the woods? Yeah. 
information I require to complete my mission. I have been sent from Phelan to borrow samples of light from different galaxies for study. On this planet, I chose you. Why me? Why not? Okay, which way is Fred Lauderdale? I only know what's in your head. You don't know the way from your house to a 7-Eleven. Today, we're going to talk about the flight of the Navigator. Uh, let me go downstairs real quick. God dang it. I'm sorry, man. Hold on. Just a second. I don't want it to interrupt our uh, show any further. One second. Okay. What you guys don't understand is uh, Woody's taking a break right now to uh, take another, what I like to call a sudden death break. He just keeps disappearing and going off. <laughs> and, and, and watching that movie. <laughs> two minutes at a time. <laughs> oh, cracking myself up. All right. <clears throat> God, I cannot wait for you to listen to what I just oh said. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was. What's funny is I could barely even get through it because I'm just laughing at the whole time. I can't even imagine what it could be. Oh. Okay, a couple quick things. Number one, I got to say, I, like I said before, was obsessed with this movie as a kid, watched it all the time. And, you know, as a 20-something-year-old, wanted to kind of revisit that movie and revisit that feeling, that nostalgia. Basically, my uh, now wife and I rented it, and we watched it, and boy, she was just... This was like, I mean, literally like 20 years ago. And she, dude, she was not having it. She was like, this... And even whenever I watched it at that point, I wasn't having it. Really? Now, watching it again, I completely disagree. I think it, well, we'll get to what we think yeah, about it yeah. in just a second. But some quick things about The Flight of the Navigator for all you cinephiles is that it was directed by Randall Kleiser. Not sure about the pronunciation. Mm. Probably did it wrong. <laughs> and uh, written by a guy named Mark H. Baker. Now, interesting fact here. This is actually the first screenplay that Mark Baker wrote ever in his life. Wow. It was originally called Vanished. And he said that the idea for this screenplay came from a dream he had. So all of oh. this was basically something that he dreamt. And wow. it was much different than kind of what we ended up getting. I, I saw this documentary that, again, we'll also talk about in, in a few minutes, where he kind of talked about how, you know, before it got in the hands of Disney, essentially there was this whole piece in the script about how the kid and the alien essentially built the spaceship from nothing, just using like these memories and stuff. And there's this huge sequence. And Randall Kleiser, the director, so he directed Flight of the Navigator, Honey, Asher and the Kids, The Blue Lagoon, Grease. So the guy, you know, has some pretty serious, like big, big movies. Oh, yeah under his belt, you know, by the time that he, uh, then he did this one. The, the basic sort of story, if, if you're listening and you never watched this movie, although, I mean, honestly, it was such a huge part of my childhood that I can't imagine yeah, anybody but, skipping this one. But it's funny you're saying that because, you know, this would have been 
you know, pre-internet. And I remember there was a period where, where you know, again, I would have seen it when I was uh, five probably. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll get into that later. But I do remember there was like a period where I couldn't, because I had seen it when I was so little that I couldn't remember the name of it. And like, it was that sort of like mystery of like, what was that movie? Really? You know, and like, obviously there was no way to look up, you know, hop on the internet and figure it out. But there was like a little like area that I remember in my youth where I could not remember what it was called. Man. Yeah. That's crazy. So if you uh, haven't seen this movie, here's the basic plot. You know, there may or may not be spoilers here. I think it's all right. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, what do you mean, man? You, you don't want people, I don't want people to know the end. Well, you're right. You're right. Basically, this 12-year-old boy, David Freeman, mm-hmm. is, I mean, like the one sentence plot is he gets abducted by an alien spaceship and then finds himself caught in a world that has changed all around him. Meaning, there's a huge loss of time. Yeah. Thing. This isn't like kind of what we've talked about in other episodes where people just can't explain a couple hours. Essentially, this kid, it kind of all starts, you've heard us describe this scene that really stuck with us as kids where, you know, he and his brother are in the woods at night. Mm-hmm. It's actually the movie set July 4th of 1978 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. This is another thing that I actually really liked about the movie. You know, a lot of times when you're watching a movie, especially like 80s movies or something, they tend to, I mean, look at like Home Alone, for example. You know, these people Mm -hmm. are in this gigantic house. They don't really explain, you know, what Kevin McAllister's dad does, anything like that. In this movie, to me, it was really true to sort of like middle class America. Right. And, you know, nothing too ritzy, you just immediately feel those like 1986 vibes, man. Everything from like oh, yeah. clothes and all that stuff. So I really... But the, but there's also... You go ahead. I was just going to say, I really liked that about it. You know, it, it just felt yeah. more real. Well, that and then... But I also think there was a little bit... And even even watching it now, it's like I can kind of... Like, I remember as a kid watching it and there was that a little bit of sort of like an exotic kind of vibe because, you know... I, well, you later, but like when I was a kid, I grew up in North Georgia where we had, uh, you know, we had mountains and a bunch of forest and beautiful kind of land. And, and so my childhood was like playing in the woods and the creek and, and that kind of thing. And I do remember as a kid seeing this and, and there being a little bit of like an exotic vibe of like them living in the beach and, uh, or living near the mm-hmm. beach or whatever. And then, like, at the end, you know? Yeah, yeah. When they, they just, like, hop like in their boats. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially, like, where where you grew up, you know, not around the lake, even though, like, where we are now, you know, huge, huge lake. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the movie starts. Actually, you know, I got to tell you this, too. There's a couple, I don't know if you noticed this rewatching it, but even in the opening credits, there's, like, a couple misdirects kind of oh dude that's my this is i i I wrote down everything yeah me too man it's so cool because it's it's like you know as a viewer that this movie is about like ufos or something right yep and the movie opens and you see this like shiny saucer flying through the air Mm -hmm. and you're like oh man there's like this ominous music that's playing in the background it's like metallic yeah it's like shiny and um, almost like chrome looking, and you're like, oh, man, here we go. Here it comes. And all of a sudden, like, you realize just at the last second, basically, that it's a Frisbee, 
and a dog like catches it in its mouth and then it like does like a um, like a wide shot of this like frisbee mm-hmm. competition for dogs yeah and so that was like the first misdirect and then later on at the end of that competition which i do want to talk about this frisbee competition in a minute but <laughs> at the end of that the kid's getting in his car in the like station wagon with his family and there's this like big yep. shadow that appears above their heads and then again this mysterious music plays and the parents kind of like look up into the sky like what what's going yep. on and everybody's like <gasps> and they make like even sort of a surprise or mystified face yeah and then you and then it's a blimp and you're right. like okay and then when you think that's not enough i think the third one that i wrote down was they're like i think maybe it's again opening credits after that or something later credit what what I, th- I thought he was walking through the woods well no the the one i the one i wrote down was i think it's when they're still driving and there's again music happens and it's like a water tower water yeah. tower yeah well I, for some reason i was thinking that he was he was walking through the woods yeah. but yeah you're probably right so yeah i love that because every single time it's kind of like this in the water tower one it it's kind of like the camera's kind of like tracking and you're seeing like a tree line and then all of a sudden like i guess it kind of rises like above and then you know behind that tree line you see this huge sort of water tower yeah and every time even though i knew because i've seen this movie a million times i was Mm -hmm. like oh man like okay the frisbee one i knew because i remember that opening scene i'll never forget it but like the water tower part i was like oh oh, here we go oh 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 it's kind of mm-hmm. like that scene mm-hmm. in Hot Tub Time Machine when they keep on expecting that guy's arm to get chopped off and they're like, yes, here we do. Let's go. And then it doesn't. And they're like, oh, <laughs> man. So anyways, I got to talk about this freaking, one of the things that just made me laugh, and maybe I'm just ignorant to it because I don't have a dog, but this kid is just like completely fascinated by this Frisbee competition. Basically, oh, like yeah. the owner throws a Frisbee, the dog catches it. That's the competition. And he's like, you know, next year, I just can't wait. And their dog's name is Bruiser. Could it, Which is awesome. So could it be any more 80s than that? Uh, yeah. And so yeah. this kid's... I have a friend named named Bruiser. Well, I mean, I call him Bruiser. You have a friend named Bruiser. I mean, not his real name, but his name is Bruce. Oh, okay, I got it. Shout out to Bruce. What's up, Bruce the Bruiser? He's the guy who uh, is responsible for me being a graphic designer. So. Oh, very cool. And... It just, it was hilarious to me, like, how, I guess, obsessed he was about that. But then, you know, if you rewind back into your brain when you were 12, you know, I thought I was going to be a millionaire with a lemonade stand or, Mm -hmm. like, selling baseball cards on the side of the... Literally, I sold baseball cards once out of my driveway. And when I said sold, I meant, like, I just had a table set up. No one stopped. Not even Mm. other kids, so... Mm. Pretty uh, pretty exciting. Well, one thing real quick about the dog show is the just the it's like literally probably a good three or four minutes of him like failing throwing this frisbee and his dog not catching mm-hmm. it and the whole time he's just like kind of mumbling under his breath he's like oh come on what are you doing what are you doing bruiser what's what's wrong pal and that's like two or three full minutes mm-hmm. of the movie which is a, you know interesting choice 80s. yeah yeah. Maybe just, you know, mm-hmm. maybe just have that be like 60 seconds. Yeah, just just do it yeah, once. We get it. Hey, yeah. Randall, we got it. All right, so let's dive into the plot real quick. So you've heard us mm-hmm. talk about this scene before where it describes, where we've described 
you know, these kids go into the woods for whatever reason. It's dark. It's late. It's, it's that classic in the woods scene where there's just like light in the background. And then like kind of they've, you know, put the smoke machine, you know, and there's just like this fog oh, and it's best. just like kind of backlit on these kids. Yeah. And, well, and but also you also see um, in this particular one, which I think we've we've talked about this with like uh, Close Encounters mm-hmm. of the Third mm-hmm. Kind. Um, but this is the one where since they were kind of in the woods, they have like the little what would be like moon beams mm-hmm. kind of shining through. Yeah. It's just it it still it still holds yeah. up, still works. And perfect. you still kind of think it's almost like another misdirect because you think, oh, here we go. This is the reason why it's lit up yeah, is because exactly. there's UFO. And I just remember mm-hmm. why he's walking through the woods. He's going to pick up his brother who essentially, you know, went to a neighbor's house to play. So he's going to get yeah, his who's eight years yeah. old. That's awesome. And also before he leaves, the mom says, Yeah, just look out for those fireworks. Because <laughs> like as they're in the car, they look outside at the kids that his, you know, his little brother's friends, and they all just have like lit fireworks mm-hmm. in their hands, just pointing, at, pointing them at each other. Eighties as heck. And oh, real quick, but I did write this down too. Before we we move on from this, either his dad or his mom are like, "Hey, go get your your brother." Mm-hmm. And his response is, "Which boy? How times have changed." You know, they're in Florida. There's like a mangrove swamp forest, probably. And his brother's like this little, like his older brother, the main character. His like uh, sort of uh, sarcastic responses. I think he can he can make it for half a mile, mom. And it's like <laughs> there's an eight year old <laughs> who's going to be walking in the dark in a swamp forest. Oh, and also crossing a railroad track. Oh yeah, uh, to get back home at night. Mm-hmm. He's got it. <laughs> God. I mean, my God, man. And so like the oldest brother, you know, the main character David uh, is only mm-hmm. twelve, right? And so he's walking through here. He gets his little brother. They're kind of their back and forth is always hilarious, like scuzz bucket yeah. and dehydrated mm-hmm. pizza face and all kinds of funny stuff. And I want to say that his oh yeah, he's going to get his little brother. His little brother like scares him, and mm-hmm. he like jumps out of a tree. Or yeah, something. something like that. And then David, the main character, falls down this ravine, right, and is knocked mm-hmm. unconscious. Well, this is this is the part where I was like, oh man, this is super super cool. Because, again, it deals with this lost time. So he wakes up. Again, this is for the benefit of those who haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a long time. But the kid wakes up and discovers that eight years have passed. And it's now 1986, bemused basically because they see the missing kid the missing uh, child poster and it's just like man this guy matches the description right but i mean think about it like in your head for a second you know like a rational adult right you would just think mm-hmm. and this kid matches the description but is the same age as he was when he got lost you would just think oh it's got to be a different kid you know well he, he does the the one i guess like detective does say that and she says well i've I've ran it in a computer six times or something, yeah. and it's got to be 1986, just computers, man. <laughs> I've ran it through. You know, I think looking back, this has got to be like my first experience as a kid with concepts like lost time or geez, oh, even yeah. UFOs. I was trying to think like, I don't think I saw Close Encounters, even though it came out way before this. I don't think I saw it no. before this. I think this was my introduction to UFOs. Right? Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I I don't remember. I mean, around that era, 
obviously like E.T. would have been. Oh, boy, that's true. That's true. But but I think that this, I, well, I know for a fact I would have seen this movie first. Yeah. Um, I don't so, know. yeah, this this was probably it yeah. for me. So, anyhow, now he, he, you know, I don't, this is, a, this is, this part, this section of the movie is around wherever, like, as a kid, sort of freaked me out because it's like oh, yeah. he me can't too. find his parents. He f- he finds out basically that all this time has passed. He goes, he kind of like goes to the house that he, that's how the police get him essentially is he walks, quote, on, like home, knocks on the mm-hmm. door and there's just like these other people that live there. And as a kid, dude, yeah. that freaked me freaked out. Me man. Out. Like, can you imagine like going to your house where you've grown up and there's just other people yeah. there you'd think, Somebody's trying to play a trick on me, right? So then, well, and, and then he, then he like barges in. Yeah, sorry, my mic just hit my mic. Then he like barges in and uh, goes in, and there's like the old man in like a robe. Yeah, and oh like, yeah, just in a cocktail, like having a cocktail. And there's some nice slow smooth jazz mm-hmm. going on in the mm-hmm. background. Yeah, it's like Ron Burgundy. Yeah, a couple. I mean, if this kid would have barged in a couple minutes after, mm-hmm. I mean, who, who knows, knows what, what old found. mom and pop might have been doing? Yeah, um, yeah. So then, the, of course, the police get him. Would have they, been a different kind of movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they end up taking him to who his real parents are. And yep. that this is another scene that I always kind of was like, oof. Because they get there and his parents are, well, first off, is it his brother that answers the door first? Uh, it's his dad. Because you kind of see, he's kind of like in silhouette oh, at yeah, first. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And then, then when he jumps out of the car and runs up, to go see his dad, he's like, he kind of comes in the light and it, it's, you know, you realize that he's older. He's older. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude. And then the mom looks, she looks a lot older. Yeah. Yeah. They really laid that old makeup on thick. They sure did. And so that was always a scene that kind of just freaked me out, man. And, and yeah, here is too. where there is a direct connection to a movie that we talked about last week. And that's the movie North Shore. What? Because the main character in North Shore is Matt Adler, and he's the one that plays the grown-up version of this kid's little brother. Oh, which he was really cool, I yeah, thought. Man. I liked his character as as like the older, well, the younger older yeah. brother. I mean, I remember as a kid, too, he comes on screen, you're like, man, this dude's cool as heck, man. He's got like, you yeah. know, like rolled up sleeves. He knows about like cool music and stuff, and he's, he's like just treating his kid brother, well, his older brother that's a kid, um, yeah, like really well and stuff. And well, and I would say probably like the coolest part, which again, I, it was so long ago. I, I don't remember like the first viewing because I would have seen it. I saw it in the theater, but I remember when I the last time that I'd seen it was, I mean, probably early 20s, maybe. And I remember having the same feeling then as I did this last time is like probably the coolest scene in the movie is like or, or kind of the most bad scene is like when he's. He's like, and spoiler, the brother like runs up on the roof and he's like lighting the fireworks and it's like the music's kind of like cool and intense. Mm. You know, when he's trying to like send out like the, the signal oh, yeah, flare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so and cool. Man, I'm glad you mentioned the music because the music I thought was really awesome too, man. Like I mean, Alan Silvestri, dude, man. And like um, the synth or whatever that they're using just oh, yeah. sounded so awesome. So here's like mm-hmm. basically just to kind of like, there's a lot of other like little facts we could just go into, but essentially, at the same time, basically, the alien spaceship has like crashed and is now taken 
by NASA and the U.S. government, mm-hmm. they bring in David because they feel like there's some sort of connection there. They bring him in for some testing, testing his brain waves. They figure out basically that he's got this like map to where this thing potentially could be from, like in his head. And so they, which is pretty, it's awesome. really cool. They and it also. You may not even know this, Woody, but that's actually a sort of a parallel to the Betty and Barney Hill case. Uh, I think it was Betty who, when they would run her through like hypnosis and and she was regressed, she had all these sort of star maps Mm. like in her brain. And I, I wonder, like as I was watching that, you know, just today, I wonder if they pulled a little bit of that from from this account. Man. I wonder. It's pretty yeah. cool. And the guy, I don't know if you recognize the guy that plays like the the head scientist at NASA, Dr. Faraday. Oh, I Man, love him. His, his, the actor's name is Howard, I think it's Heisman or Hessman. But yeah. I remember him from, of course, WKRP in Cincinnati, that show, or reruns of that show. And then the the show that I remember him from was that show, Head of, head of the Class. Do you remember that? No, but wait a minute. What do I remember? I remember him from a movie. I mean, he's just been in a ton of stuff uh, back in the 80s, but I always thought he was super cool, especially from Head of the Class. That was, again, one of those shows that somehow just made it overseas (laughs) and we would watch it like all the time. (laughs) But, you know, I also attribute this movie to my, it's one of two movies from my childhood that completely made me obsessed with anything NASA. This In this movie heart. and the movie Space Camp were two of the reasons why I was obsessed with NASA. Like I just thought, oh, you know, I mean, this kid ends up having this NASA hat, and I thought, man, I just want to have yep. one of those NASA hats, man. That silk trucker hat, yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. Yeah, and this is another thing too for for all you millennials out there. When Woody and I were growing up, uh, and everybody else around this era, you know, now I look at NASA. I mean, I still think it's pretty cool, but I think it's responsible for. A little bit of misinformation and cover up, but uh, back then, you know, the cover of the movie, uh, the right stuff. Mm-hmm. Remember? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, when we were in the band, the Modern Society, like we were constantly trying to figure out ways to kind of play up that vibe mm-hmm. of like that sort of like old school, like cosmonauts and like eighties astronauts mm-hmm. and those like badges and stuff. Pretty much in like every photo shoot or graphic, <laughs> you know, that we we could think of Mm -hmm. you know we were always trying to like play up that vibe because it was just it was so cool in the in the 80s oh yeah man i mean i was just obsessed another cool thing that happens around this section is you're basically introduced to sarah jessica parker who Mm -hmm. man when this movie dude i had the biggest crush on her whenever I saw this movie yeah. for the first time. She's got like a little thing of like purple hair. Purple. There's mm-hmm. this line where she's like talking to David and she's like, you know, you're kind of cute. Did anybody ever tell you that before? And he's like, I mean, my mom sometimes, but I don't think that counts. And I feel like your son Woodrow oh, yeah. would say that. For sure. To man, a for sure. It's that like <laughs> super cute, like innocence that... Uh, Naive. Yeah. yeah very like innocent. But I, was, I, th- I just thought she was like, Man, the hottest thing ever. Yeah. Let, let me also put out an apology because I've I've said that she looked like a horse in a oh, previous man. episode. And I had totally forgotten that she was in this movie. But I do remember being obsessed with this girl. Mm-hmm. So like when I went back to and saw that it was her, 
I immediately kind of felt yeah, bad. Well, you should have probably felt bad anyway. I mean, she does. Just, she not, does have sort of a. Mm-mm. She does have sort of a horse face later on in life. No, um, you're also introduced to this like. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. This robot car, essentially, mm-hmm. that they call Ralph, which stands for oh, robotic yeah. assistant labor facilitator. And she jokes that she's like, yeah, basically he just kind of drives the mail around. <laughs> so he delivers yeah. mail. But as you know, if you watch this movie, it's kind of the way that David plots his escape. Yeah, it's totally like the MacGuffin, mm-hmm. you know. It, it was all, it was, I mean, that's like the whole point of right. it being there. Yeah. Yeah. Still cool though. I remember as a kid being being like, oh man, it's like a robot. Yeah, exactly. You know, And even just like that, it's that simplistic sort of like early nasa design Mm -hmm. man like you throw the nasa logo on anything from the 80s and it's like oh my god that looks so cool yeah and it had like a siren on Mm -hmm. its on the top yep (laughs) i'm not real sure why but when that these scientists and everything are trying to figure out what is this thing is it a threat how does this kid sort of like connected to it all they determine that where he traveled was like 560 light years away and he, and he went that fast in like 2.2 hours or something. Mm. And it's kind of like they just sort of like gloss over it. But again, this is like my only known introduction, especially as a six-year-old, to what they call light speed theory. So they basically explain yep. to David that, hey, just because you it only felt like or, or just because it was only 2.2 hours or solar hours, as they say in the movie, to you – you know, years have passed here. And that kind of is their way of explaining, you know, why there's missed time, how his parents mm-hmm. and his little brother are older, but he essentially didn't change or right. age. And, you know, it's it's just, it literally is like two lines of dialogue boop, and then they just move on. But I thought it was a pretty cool way mm-hmm. for them to kind of explain that in a simple way for a kid to just be like, oh, okay, cool, that makes sense, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, one thing also, this was actually Sarah Jessica Parker's first film. Oh, yeah, first feature film, huh? Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which, I mean, for a Disney movie, that's, that's pretty big. Yeah, man. Oh, also, I did find, while you're looking, I found that the forest that it was filmed mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, when, where he, he uh, I guess, gets abducted and in the beginning he's looking for his brother, is the exact, it was somewhere, in, it's like a garden in Miami that, Iron Man 3 was filmed. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's it's where, like, the Mandarin, it was, like, where he lived. Yep, that's awesome, man. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, essentially, after these scientists kind of, and I don't know if we want to just explain the whole film. I think maybe maybe not, right? I mean, just let's just hit, like, the highlights. Yeah, so basically, like, this, they explain this light speed theory uh, to David, and he just kind of freaks out. Like, you know, it's just too much for him to comprehend as a 12-year-old and just, like, runs out of the room and he starts to have yeah. these like telepathic communications between himself and the, and the ship essentially. Mm-hmm. And he kind of sneaks up, he sneaks out um, and sneaks into the ship. And that's kind of when we kind of are introduced to the ship, which is a character in and of itself. Yeah. Essentially the ship inside of it, it's the robotic commander Trimaxion drone ship. And as we know, as the audience, the kid's just like, okay, cool. I'm going to call you Max uh, for short. Right? Yeah. And he keeps on referring to David as the navigator. And from here, you know, they essentially kind of 
escape and go on the run. The purpose for that, I think, is try or Max the the ship is trying to kind of re-download the star charts that um, are in David's head, and so yeah. they kind of like because he said he said that he hit like some like power lines or something. <laughs> yeah, but essentially the the information transfer just wasn't complete or something. I'm you know I got to be honest, it's kind of vague to me why he needed David in the first place. Yeah. Oh, I, oh I you know what? So I think he collects people from other places because late, like as they are kind of touring the ship is when mm-hmm. we're, he kind of shows David like these little alien the specimens little alien. or whatever. And he, and, and yeah, but he never, he never made it out that he was like, well, he says the intention was, he says that he like keep. returns them. He doesn't keep them. He just like studies them and then he returns them back oh, to their right. normal time. And it's all coming back yeah. to me now. And well, and the reason that he, the reason you saw like the little alien character, uh, uh, well, I won't spoil that, but the reason that you see that little character, which by the way, there's three or four shots where you totally see strings connected to it. I didn't see that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, when he's like dancing, Mm. um, but is because I guess his planet was destroyed and he was orphaned. Ah. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And which actually, if knowing that, like, Seeing that last scene now, I never realized that. But oh yeah, 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 that makes when it sense. Make, it goes back with David. Yeah, it's like, oh cool. Yeah. So like during the kind of mind transfer or whatever, that's when he introduces David to these other specimens. So there's other ones. There's like this little like slimy thing, and uh, one that like bites his hat off and, and chews it up, and yeah. um, and basically that's when Max explains like, yeah, I just kind of like study them, but then I return them back to the exact time that I took them, that didn't happen with you because something messed up or something. I guess, I guess like you said, he hit a power line or something. I'm, I'm not real sure. Yeah, it was like real brief, but yeah. I think that's what it was. And that yeah. little character that you're talking about, the cute one that mm-hmm. if you've seen this movie, you know exactly what we're talking about. It's a little like almost like a bat-like creature. Yep. I didn't know this, but its name is Puck Marin. Mm. And uh, yeah, it says that like... He's the last of his kind after Comet destroyed his his planet. There was one part, and I, I looked this up, but I couldn't see anything. But there's like a brief line when I, I think it's when the ship is uh, sort of explaining this whole part. You know, when he's he's talking about, you know, galaxies and, and taking specimen from this star and this, you know, galaxy, I guess. And he's, he's like kind of just rolling through all these words. And then he says like Pixar. Hmm. I was hoping that it was like a little sort of like, I don't know, kind of like tie-in Easter egg, but I looked it up and didn't see anything, but I wonder if... That's it. Maybe that's where they got the name. Maybe, yeah. Man, that's very, uh, very interesting. I think as far as plot goes, we're good there. I don't want to give away the ending, really. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen it in a long time, definitely go back and watch it. But one thing that I... it holds up, man, pretty good. Yeah, man. I mean... One thing that I loved about it and completely, well, I'll say this is what I found out about it. The visual effects, I thought, for the time, you know, 1986, were pretty darn good. Oh, now, yeah. of course, you know, with the little creatures and stuff, it's clearly it's a, it's a puppet, right? But the ship itself, you know, what I learned mm-hmm. was this is early, early CGI, obviously. And it's the first time, according to the designers, that... <clears throat> reflection mapping was used in a feature film essentially what that means is you know this ship is this 
like the whole thing, the outside is like chrome. And as it's flying either over a field or over the ocean, you see whatever it is that it's flying past kind of reflecting mm-hmm. off of its body. <clears throat> and so... You right, Paul? My voice is all messed up. <clears throat> the, uh, the visual des- designer said that James Cameron actually said that seeing that ship is what inspired him for the T-1000 in Terminator. Yeah, in Terminator 2. Yep. And... Um, yeah, the, it, it's weird because there's something about that ship when I was a kid that I was just obsessed with that look. And I think it was when T2 first came out, it was like all came back home. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, my God. Yeah. In fact, so much so, which it's so funny that we're even talking about this. I, none of this was planned. But I was actually thinking about this earlier this week. So my stepdad was like building an office, and which later ended up being uh, my like loft, like studio. We, we rehearsed up there a little while and stuff. But there was a blizzard in 94, I believe. And he had to replace a bunch of stuff. So like the heating and air, the little like thermostat, I remember it was in the trash and I had oh, maybe no. just seen T2. And I literally broke the little thing and mm-hmm. was keeping mercury around in a test tube, which is highly toxic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like, really not safe at all yeah. but like i i was obsessed with that texture and literally carried this th- i mean i would carry it to school in like oh, a yeah. little chemistry Dude, set test tube 100 percent. as you're saying this i'm wondering how many kids from around that time oh, yeah 92 mm-hmm. or whatever ended up getting mercury poisoning or just yep. having i mean like because like same thing i'm 90 percent sure that i was like oh Oh, there's some in this uh, thermometer <laughs> crack and just like let it let it roll around in my hand i'm not joking yeah Yep, exactly. So maybe that explains um, my memory loss. I don't... Well, and maybe... Uh, Maybury... Uh, I just said Maybury. Maybury? Uh, <laughs> I actually live in Maybury Ridge. Um, maybe James Cameron actually did the same thing. I mean, you never know. I mean, I don't know why he, he would have. He's Well, I don't know. You never know. You never know. Let's hit up some, like, interesting trivia about the movie. Yeah, let's do it. Huh? Broke up. I just said, yeah, let's oh. do it. <laughs> Okay. A lot of really kind of popular kid actors, they were kids at the time, auditioned for this lead role. Two that I found mm-hmm. that honestly kind of blew my mind was Chris O'Donnell and... Oh, Rosie O'Donnell's son. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, and Joaquin Phoenix, man. Wow. Yeah. But hmm. the reason they didn't get is they wanted somebody like less known, less sort of like, yeah, you know, mainstream Hollywood. And mm-hmm. the guy that the kid that ended up getting the part who played David is a guy named Joey Kramer. And he kind of came into the audition and completely, according to the casting director, she said that he just 100% like swept her off her feet. Essentially, she's like, you know, you're watching kids come in or an actor come in all day long saying the same exact thing, performing it basically in the same exact way. And then all of a sudden this kid comes in and just, you just and it just sells you on it. Wow. It was just it, it's fascinating. This is a cool fact too. When the car and the family is driving up to the house after that dog frisbee competition, <laughs> yeah. the song on the radio is "You're the One That I Want" from Greece, and it was just like a little nod to the director's movie. You know? Oh, cool. Oh, dude, how cool is this? Okay, the guy that designed the design for the spaceship, his story is pretty incredible. His name's Edward Eath. 
And I'm not sure what else he did because I didn't go that far, but just learning about the story of how he got the job is pretty incredible. So this guy, fresh out of art school, essentially, he is mm-hmm. sitting in this lobby with his like portfolio in front of him. He's, a, he's there for a, a job interview. He's kind of thumbing through it or whatever and just kind of like nervously, just kind of like, you know, fidgeting and stuff. Uh, the director, Randall Kleiser, basically sees this mm-hmm. kid sitting there. He kind of walks by. He, he just by chance kind of like sees a small piece of this kid's art. And he's like, hey, man, let me, let me look at that. And he's talking to him. He's like, what are you doing here? And the kid's like, well, I'm here for a job interview. And as he's talking, the director is just kind of flipping through and he hired him on the spot, dude. Whoa. Yeah. Then That's amazing. He, he tells the kid, you know, go home, put together some ideas of what we want. And, and the designer says that, you know, it's now that he's been in, in, you know, a visual designer for movies and stuff for so long, it's just common. The director will say like, you know, give us something that nobody's ever seen before. And he's kind of like, okay, well, you know, great. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't tell me <laughs> anything. But so he mm-hmm. goes home, he does a bunch of little like thumbnail sketches of a bunch of different designs, hands it over mm-hmm. to the director. The next day he gets a call. It's the director. He's like, hey, you know, I passed these over to, uh, you know, my buddy Steven Spielberg. He kind of looked at him and the designer's like, Huh? He's like, dude, my first ever sketches for a job got passed over to Steven Spielberg. Is that, dude? That I mean, incredible. that's incredible, right? Yeah. So that's amazing. So awesome. And to hear him kind of talk about how he ended up coming up with the fact that I mean, he, you know, everything from the way the ship looked to the way it looked whenever it flies. You know, it kind of elongates and becomes more aerodynamic. Which man, as a kid, that oh, was so so cool. So man. cool. And even even he came up with the idea, the concept that instead of just having like a door that just like kind of slides open like every other spaceship we've seen as kids mm-hmm. up into this point, yep. how it just kind of melts away and then that oh, yeah. mercury substance sort of liquid metal yep. turns into steps, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's how you kind of get And they're into, just floating there. They're just floating. And man, that's another thing that I am so glad I watched this documentary about because they... I've always wondered this, like, how did they make those steps just like float there? How in the world? Because there's no wires, there's no, you can't see yeah. anything. And the the director and the producer talked about because they spent so much money on the CGI for the ship, there was a couple sections in the movie where they're like, we just have to do this the old school way. And one of them, and it was just a camera trick. So what they did is they got these steps and then because of the angle of the camera, you can't see that there are these like metal steel rods that are holding these things up, like like going away from the step. So like if you're facing like at an angle, the side of these steps, there's a rod in that same angle behind it essentially. And so, and like because of those metal rods, because it wasn't like there's nothing underneath it holding it up, you can see the steps sort of like give way a little bit. And that's the part that always fascinated me when I was like younger, like how do they make it like where it like bends under their weight and stuff? Like what's going on? Well, and especially in the scene, it's so funny you're talking about this because, you know, just watching it just minutes ago, the scene where, a spoiler, where it lands at a gas station and, you know, there's like the family gets out of their car and the dad thinks it's just sort of a roadside attraction at the mm-hmm. gas station. And, and yeah, you see the kids uh, like behind these steps and they're, you know, I was expecting to see like, you know, some, cause sometimes like you'll have green screen or whatever. And, 
you know, they'll or sort of kind of go in and sort of like digitally kind of erase, yeah. you know, whatever, like the, the ropes or the, the frame or whatever. And there's none of that. I mean, it looks super clean. And like you said, there's this slight little like give on mm-hmm. the steps that it, I mean, it still stands up. Now I will say the only scene in the entire movie, I mean, obviously like some of the puppetry stuff of the alien, but yeah. I love that stuff. I mean, that's like, yeah, straight up George Lucas, you mm-hmm. know, Yoda kind of vibes. But the only thing that was a little weird is like when the steps would kind of like go back up, they would mm-hmm. be like blah 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 blah. Yeah, and it like yeah. turns to that sort of liquid metal. Yeah, the animation that there. looks a little, yeah. little even, early. Even whenever it like comes CGI. down too, it's kind of early. Yeah, exactly. Early CGI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there, there's another part that they talked about. You know, when the when the ship itself is coming out of the hangar. And it just looks just massive and everybody looks mm-hmm. super small in front of it. It's actually like the size of just slightly bigger than a football in that scene. It's all camera what? angles, dude. Yeah. Isn't that insane? Man, that's amazing. So like yeah, the, but- the director of photography was talking like he's like, you know, people don't do that kind of stuff nowadays because, well, they don't know how because they haven't had to. I mean, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, but but they would they would have had to make a. There was uh, a practical um, when it's like in the it, truck. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Well, that and you know the part where after they escape, they go to the, they're like parked at that gas station. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's what I was talking yeah. about with the kids. Yeah. yeah. So that was a full like quote unquote full size um, oh, model. Wow. Yep. Yeah, and then then the other scene where uh, I guess you would have to have that when anytime you see the kid like stepping out of it Mm -hmm. or like when he's kind of like just looking out the window for the door or whatever man i wonder where that's at now Mm. oh oh i actually found that too so i think one of those practical effects models Mm -hmm. um is used as something else in disney like at disney world yeah pretty cool i would love to own that now I think we got to talk about Max. Okay. Whoa, I think you got to talk about it because you're the one that told me and I completely forgot that it was him. Okay. So th- when we first decided we were going to do this, I said, you know, and what's weird is I, ha- I haven't even thought of this movie for years, but like just my memory, I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure because we had just watched the new uh, like Pee Wee Herman movie. What is it called? Uh, Pee Wee's Holiday or something like that. Pee-wee's it's on Netflix. Big Holiday. Something like Maybe? that. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's um, pretty good. But being like in the Pee Wee mood, I was like, you know, I think I could swear that it was Pee Wee Herman. And you said, I no said, man, it's not him. Yeah, I said, like, I remember it thinking that it sounded like him. And I just thought maybe they were capitalizing on that sort of like, like that. silly <laughs> Pee Wee. Yeah, yeah. And so I didn't believe but, it. I was like, I don't think so, man. Well, and then what's interesting, too, is when I looked into it, originally it was like, oh, well, that's not that's not Pee Wee Herman. But apparently Paul Rubens, who had already become a movie star in Pee Wee's Big Adventure by then, he used the pseudonym Paul Mall, which, as you know, is the name of an old cigarette brand. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's the name in the credits. Kleiser explains Paul did not want to have his name used in the project because he wanted to stay low-key and have it be a surprise, yeah. which... It's pretty awesome. Yeah, and, yeah. and honestly, the, you know, there's some like voice modulation stuff, uh, which kind of... Um, Especially in the beginning. Kind of low, well, it kind of like, even throughout the whole thing, like even when you're like, oh, well, that's definitely him. It's still kind of lowered, like modulated down, mm-hmm. maybe half a step or something. So you could, you know, you could listen to it and be like, I don't think that's him. I think it's just somebody who is 
kind of trying to sound like, you know, yeah. peewee basically. But yeah, I love that. I, I think it adds so much sort of character. And I think that was an interesting choice too, because everything's very sort of like cold in the ship, even though I thought it was incredible as a kid, like the, the captain's chair, like his navigating chair, I guess, technically. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it would have been really easy and really sort of typical to go the the route of having a very sort of like cold and which it kind of does in the beginning. You know, it says like compliance and then it does whatever you ask and stuff. Dude, that um, used to make me laugh so much. He'd be like, we yeah, need to go. And he's like, compliance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they could, they could have just kept with that super cold kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I thought it was an interesting choice to, uh, you know, to inject, you know, basically Pee Wee Herman yeah, it's, it happens of the, kind of, of after Max. after they do that like sort of mind transfer, you know, to get right. the coordinates and everything. It's kind of yeah. like the moment that all of a sudden like Max um, mm-hmm. takes on some sort of like human characteristics. And then of yeah. course, like I got to say, man, I also think this movie was where I became obsessed with the Beach Boys, man. I mean, mm. I'd heard, you know, Teen Wolf, there's, a, yeah. you know, whenever he's uh, surfing on top of the van and then this one, I think those two kind of really turned me on to the Beach Boys because, you know, my parents didn't really listen to the Beach Boys, so I have to... Well, my my mom was, like, always into, like, oldies back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a station here in Atlanta called Fox 97, mm-hmm. and uh, so we were always listening to that. And then my stepdad, when he came around later, he was a huge, like, Beach Boys fan, too, so... But, you know, back then, I mean, at the age of five, I don't necessarily remember that, but it was it was probably new to me then. Mm-hmm. I just remember like, you know, that scene is just, I uh, I just wanted to do it, man. I wanted to be yeah. like listening to the Beach Boys fly in a dang spaceship, Yeah, you dude. know, no real responsibilities, just this, literally the sky's the limit. Yeah, exactly. So when, when would you have seen this for the first time? Man, I really do think it was like, man, I don't know. I, I don't remember if I saw it in the theater or not. I want to say that I did, but... I don't know. It could have been one of those things where somebody, you know, like a friend or like a cousin or something rented it. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm pretty, I'm fairly certain that we saw it in the theater. But after that, right, I mean, so as soon as it was on video, my brother and I watched it all the time. Yeah, well, I, I didn't until like much later for some reason. But this is like, oddly enough, this is like one of my sort of favorite kind of memories as you know, from my youth that I remember as being like a really young kid. So my dad left when I was four or five, I guess it would have been four or five. And I would go to a babysitter, which was my aunt, technically. Well, my grandmother's sister's daughter. Is that right? Aunt? Grandmother's grandmother's sister. Relative. 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 Um, But she was my babysitter. And, um, you know, there were a few other kids. That's what she did as her job out of her house. And I remember it was like such a big deal that we were going to go to Lakeshore Mall and watch a movie. And that was just so cool because, you know, I mean, as a kid, you know, before school started, I guess I would have been maybe four then because I wouldn't have been in school yet. But I remember specifically we went to McDonald's, which was like really cool because you had all the other kids that was at my baby, you know, that were at my babysitters that you know, you were seeing every day. Mm-hmm. There was Big Keith and Little Keith, and then there was <laughs> my first <laughs> Big Keith was a jerk, and he yeah. would beat up on everybody. And then Little Keith was a total 
total little nerd who got beat up a lot. Mm. There was a guy named Scott. That was my first look at what autism looked like. There was Suzanne, Nathan. Anyway, I'm, I'm going on a little too much about this. But I remember we went to McDonald's before we went to see the movie. And, and I don't even know what this would be from. But I remember out of the Happy Meal, I had like a little blue, like, like a Jeep, kind of like a like an SUV, like Jeep toy. Mm-hmm. And I just remember like holding it in my hand like the whole time we watched Flight of the Navigator. Yeah. And we went and we saw the movie and- Big Keith shit his a pants. Great experience. Do what? Big Keith shit his pants. <laughs> well, little Keith probably did because Big Keith <laughs> was beating him up. But yeah, it was just such a great memory. And I remember, it's just weird that you remember those yeah, kind of man. things. But, um, but yeah, I remember being like obsessed with this movie. Yeah. I mean, I like I said earlier, man, I wanted anything and everything NASA. And I thought, oh yeah, like as a kid, I mean, maybe it's not a weird thought. I don't know. As a kid, I was like, man, I mean, because you just want this movie, it even, like not to go into the ending, but it, it does end well. Like he ends up oh, yeah. coming back, being mm-hmm. dropped off. It's kind of actually like rewatching it. Like I remember being sad when he's saying bye to Max, yeah, you know, too. and you're like, oh man. And then... Um, well, and I remember... Uh, as a kid with like OCD tendency, tendencies, I remember as a kid, like I would always have like a, like a, just through my childhood, like if, if we were watching a movie and like say, uh, say Luke Skywalker, like somebody knocks his like lightsaber out of his hand, it would just like bother me so bad until he was able to get his lightsaber back. Or like if something was like taken away, if like somebody's weapon was like, you know, destroyed or something. And so I, I do remember, like, throughout the movie, like, having this feeling of, you know, because he's, you know, he's eight years into the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, his parents are old. I remember just having, like, such a hard time with, like, and this sort of, like, anxiety of, God, it's never going to go back to, to the way it was. And it just, like, bothered me. So it was really cool when it finally yeah. sort of, you know, gives it closure on that and he kind of goes back. Yeah. And to be honest, like, I had kind of forgotten, like, how does it all, how does it all wrap up? you know? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and part of the reason that I was concerned with that was like, you know, I kind of want to, I do kind of want to like show, I, I wonder how this holds up in terms of will my kids think it's lame or Me too. cool? Yeah. And yeah. I kind of feel like, well, and that's why I wanted to know, like, does it end like, you know, I remember it kind of ended cool, but is it like weird? Is there like something kind of different, you know? Um, but after rewatching, it's like, no, man, it ends you know pretty good happy you know because i yeah. think just like we were when we were kids kind of scared of the concept of being around your parents all of a sudden they just aged eight years and you haven't it's just kind of like a weird thing to kind of digest as a little kid and i don't want yeah, it, well, it kind of it, even though it was like his parents it still gave that vibe of like they were kind of imposters in a way because mm-hmm. because you know they weren't the parents that he left yeah you know yeah. when he left originally but all in I, I i thought i thought it was awesome i mean honestly yeah, me i too. i totally because of the last time that i watched it was like you know 15 20 years ago mm-hmm. i fully expected to be like man this is going to be kind of a kind of tough to get through look yeah. out sonia um <laughs> and it wasn't man actually i was pleasantly surprised yeah, me too. And visually, man, there were a lot of cool, like I love, uh, they do this in E.T., they do this. So, I mean, I think this guy, and he, he even says it in this documentary, which I, you know, forgot, we got to 
talk about that real quick. The director mm-hmm. talks about how he's like went to school with Spielberg and stuff. So you can see some yeah. similarities in terms of certain shots. Like anytime there's like a almost like a sunset slash um you know, oh god, what is it? Like a silhouette shot where it's like you're looking down the street, the sun's kind of setting and then like there's something happening the the action's like kind of coming towards you and like it's in shadowed and and it just it reminds me of like there's a scene in ET like that where it shows like the scientists or the yeah, astronauts right. kind of like walking up the street same kind of mm-hmm. scene um, yeah even some of the, like like well, we've said before the woods scenes oh it's so good man well, apparently uh, the director uh, Kleiser was elected into the science and technology committee of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences in 2010 mm-hmm. and. He was like looked at by his peers, by uh, you know Lucas and and uh, Spielberg as being really cutting edge. Hmm. Um, and apparently, this movie was the first use of image based lighting and an early use of morphing in a motion picture. Yeah, so that's really cool. Yeah, man. And it was actually his brother that was using that technology to morph. So when we're talking about that, we're talking about when the ship again, goes from its just you know, yep. normal state to like the elongated form. It shows, you know, it's animated to morph into that mm-hmm. more aerodynamic design. And it was his brother who was using that for a Tide commercial where the Tide bottle kind of morphed into the, the map of the United oh. States. And he saw that and he's like, hey, I mean, the, the chance things that happen, man, it's just incredible. Yeah. I mean, you know, we know. talk about synchronicity a lot. I mean, just imagine if he hadn't been around his brother and mm-hmm. seen that morphing, then he may not have, he said, we got to, we got to have that. We got to do that. And so that's kind of like how all that came about, which is really, really cool. So a lot of the stuff that I found was because of this documentary called Life After the Navigator. Yeah, it came out in it. 2020 and you can stream it for free on like Tubi or one of those things. So definitely yeah. look it up. The, the, you know, just like I think, there's a lot of sort of like tragedy that surrounds like kid actors and stuff. And I'd, I've mm-hmm. actually wondered for a long time, whatever happened to this kid? And the documentary kind of goes into it a little bit. Sadly, like, well, he's still alive, which is the good part. Um, mm-hmm. But he's but, on heroin. Yeah. I mean, basically, he's a recovering heroin addict for real. Oh, wow. Um, Sorry about He that. had a interesting childhood. You know, like one of the things he says in the documentary is like, he didn't really want to be an actor, actor, really. Mm-hmm. He thought this was, they, 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 he kind of got into this just as like fun. You know, he did like a couple of plays. He was in a Tom Selleck yeah. movie called Runaway. Uh, and oh, then he I got this and he went back to school and he said, you know, it was just tough because like I went back to school and people like the kids, like the older dudes would be like, I mean, you're just like a stuck up like actor dude. And then like they would beat yeah. him up and stuff. And so mm-hmm. one of the ways that he kind of, I guess one of the ways that he kind of tried to like fit in was by using drugs and, you know, just being like the party guy and that, and that's kind of how he fit in. And, you know, we've all got that friend in high school or something that's just like the party dude. And so he just kind of never really got out of that trajectory. Uh, He never really, you know, left that path essentially. And it just kind of got worse and worse. In 2016, he actually got arrested for attempted bank robbery in Canada, where he's from, Jeez. and served like two years in prison. Wow. Um, and he's, like I said, he's in recovery, and 
you know, in the interview, in the documentary, it's, it's just interesting. It's, it's sad, but you know, it's, it's just interesting. It, it would be interesting, I think, for parents who are either already entertainers or mm-hmm. thinking about their kids being in, in entertainment. It's like taking away that sort of like normal sort of childhood. Now, his mom is pretty out there in terms of, you know, you'll you'll see what I mean whenever you watch the documentary. The bottom line is yeah. he's still alive. He's just in recovery and he's trying to get, trying to be a better person. Um, well, that's good. Yeah, but uh, but it's a great yeah, documentary. It's it's definitely like a cautionary tale, and you know, I, I feel like. I feel like when I was younger, you know, you kind of had this view of, of like, kids celebrities. Like, you know, I mean, I think Macaulay Culkin is probably the most sort of perfect example of this. But like, you, you look at these kids who are just like huge celebrities, and you know, as like a, you know, once you kind of get into like early adulthood, you kind of look down on like, oh well, you know, why would he have to be homeschooled? Why would he have to? like have his own like private teacher, you kind of look at that in sort of a negative light of like, uh, oh, well, it's just, you know, he's rich, so they got that. But really, you think about how difficult it was, you know, just growing up as a normal kid and then kind of like with this kid, it's like he was in a movie, he was a celebrity, he was in, he was with Tom Selleck and Runaway. I mean, that's, that's huge. Yeah. And then he's going to try to go back to high school and then, I mean, that's a big target on his back. So... So I totally get it. I mean, I feel like that's almost the only option for having a sort of normal childhood is, you know, for these kids to have their own like little private teachers and that kind of thing. Yeah, but we uh, we digress. Yeah. So I'm going to say this. I loved it, actually. Sure, Me there's too. some parts that were like very 80s and very like sort of like, okay, well, that doesn't look perfect. But in general, man, I mean, yeah, I think... It's so charming, though, man. It is, man. And out of a lot of the movies that we've seen recently, that we've talked mm-hmm. about, this movie put me right back in 1986. Me too. I totally agree. And and I think, I think any sort of, you know, quote-unquote lacking moments in the movie, honestly, I, I think they... Well, number one, I think if, if you're watching this, you know, to kind of relive that nostalgia, if you saw it as a kid or younger, you know, younger in life. I think any of the things that maybe we would watch in like older movies and think, that doesn't really hold up as far as effects or, Mm -hmm. you know, visual effects or anything. But I think any of those things that are sort of lacking, I guess you would say, are they, they kind of add even more for like the nostalgia and like the, the overall charm. Yeah. Like for example, the, you know, like I was saying, the only thing that visually to me that was a little like ah, that doesn't really hold up. Is like when the steps do this like little liquid metal, you know, kind of bubbles out, and then you know, basically they run it in reverse to go back up. Mm-hmm. It's cool because yes, it does look a little cheesy, and yes, it is a little whatever. But it it kind of also shows you exactly what time that would have come out, you know. So it so like you're saying, Woody, it really does take you right back to yeah to that that era. It's one of those things where even if you're not going to show this movie to your kids because you think, well, they might not like it plot-wise, mm-hmm. it's a great movie to show them to, sh- to show like, do you want to know what it was like when I was a kid? Yeah, Beep. right. This is what it looked like, you know? And and it's a great sort of, I don't know, man, just a great representation of, of that era, mm-hmm. truthfully. Yeah, I, I 
so I have a six-year-old and a two-year-old, like I've said before, and I am a little weary of just the missing time and the, the family being, like, aged, you know, and he's stuck in that kind of, at the age that he's at. So I'll probably wait, but, uh, I mean, do you think you're going to let Woodrow watch it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the only risk I run is he's just bored with it, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would probably even let, like, it's funny because our youngest is, she's good, like three and a half, almost four years younger. Mm-hmm. But she ends up kind of liking the stuff that her older brother likes. So right. I'd probably let her watch it. She'd get bored too, I think, though. Yeah. Well, I th- I think the, you know, you kind of don't really see the shit for a while. So, you know, you don't really see that for, I don't know, maybe a good 20 minutes. See, maybe. Man, I still, I feel like the pacing was great yeah, i thought it was good right like a lot of times when you watch some of these old movies you're thinking like well you know i got to give it a pass and it takes forever i mean heck and i before i say this i'm going to preface this with this movie that i'm about to say is one of my favorite all-time movies but mm-hmm. et man like the pacing is much slower in that movie yeah and yeah it's outstanding it's fantastic i love everything about it but I feel like Flight of the Navigator is a little bit easier to digest as a kid than E.T. Okay. And my kids liked E.T. They've already seen it. So Oh really? Yeah. Did it and it held their attention the whole time? Yeah. I mean they watched it when they were at like my in law's house or something, spending the night. So mm-hmm. like my mother in law doesn't play that game. She's just like, We're picking a movie and boop, that's it. And so they watched it. So hmm. in cool. other news, I should get it tomorrow. I uh, I think I'm going to be setting up, hopefully, if all the right things come in, an outdoor movie situation. So yes. maybe I'll let them watch Flight of the Navigator outside. Dude, that's perfect. Yeah. Man. Also, by the way, did you notice the um, uh, in the title credits when it was first coming on the like you were able to see like the little film lines? Did you notice that? No, you mean just like little artifacts in the film? Yeah, yeah, almost like it was. It was taking fr- taken from like a filming of it, like later or something. Oh, man, yeah, it's interesting. Just watch like the the very very intro, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Man, that's awesome. It's like that cool film role kind of like you'll see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, so I guess overall, uh, two thumbs up, right? Two thumbs. Well, one out of f- one out of ten. What are you going to give it? Oh, out of ten, Whew, man. Well, on the '80s movie scale, let's call it out of five. Okay, five. Out of five, I'm going to give it a four out of five. And I say that because it's hard to be a five out of five with an 80s movie in general. I think I I go five out of five. Hmm. So average out, we'll say it's a four and a half out of five. Four and a half out of five. Okay, fair enough. enough. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you could convince me. But yeah, I mean, I think it it was very well done. Um, Well, it kept your attention. That's true. And, And it wasn't like, you know, for us to see this stuff, like... You know, we constantly talk about nostalgia. Yeah. And so, uh, like the Ewoks movie, for example, there's a lot of that that I yeah. kind of trudged through yeah. because it get, it, of what it, it was. Like brought back that nostalgia. Yeah. Whereas this, honestly, I don't, I mean, there clearly there's a lot of amazing sort of nostalgia moments, but I think it, I think it holds up and it keeps your attention the whole time mm-hmm. without relying on, you know, nostalgia. Yeah, I agree. Cool, man. Well, I think this is a great place to wrap it up. And um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, all in, you can watch it on, uh, well, I think you can stream it on Disney Plus. Um, Plus, If you happen to have a VCR and this tape 
in your collection. You could, of course, watch it there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I would say I recommend it. And I'm interested yeah. to hear what our listeners think about it. Do they think it holds up? Have they shown it to their kids? What do their kids think? Yeah. Let us know. And um, Tyler, where's the best place for them to let us know stuff like that? You know, we are typically anti-internet. But God. you can find us. <laughs> we're actually not. You can find us over at Instagram. Probably 99% of everything we do is over there. Mm-hmm. You know, we love all the messages. We love all the back and forth in the, uh, you know, the comment sections. If you want to tell us a spooky story or something funny that happened or whatever that's more long form, feel free to hit us up at uh, that would be radpod at gmail.com. Yeah, one thing I do need to say is I was really expecting you to edit out the little almost flub on the intro last week where I said, hey, welcome back to your favorite, and I mm-hmm. almost said episode. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, welcome favorite back to your ad. favorite podcast. Podcast. But you didn't do that, so yeah, well, I look like an idiot. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, other than that... I will say one thing that before we close. We say it every week. It means the world to us that you, listening to this right this second, no matter where you are on earth, uh, mm-hmm. or like if you're listening or to not. this in your car, yeah, maybe you're other planetary, or maybe you're or interdimensional. interdimensional. And you're listening to our podcast, it literally just means the absolute world to us that you're taking the time to do it. I mean, we can't say it enough. Again, like I say, even if you get tired of us saying it, too bad. We're always going to say thank you so much because it just, it just, it's just amazing to us and it's never going to not be amazing to us. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everybody that, you know, as soon as we release any information about the new episode, people are sharing it on their Instagram pages, you know, telling their friends about us. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and you know, like we, we've started saying at the end of every episode, um, you know, if you haven't told anybody about it, get out there and tell one single friend about the episode or the podcast. And um, yeah, keep spreading that word. Like what he said, we couldn't do it without you. We appreciate you coming back week after week. And um, yeah, it, it really means a lot to us. Make sure you go check out our merch store, which is all in our link tree in our bio on Instagram. And um, yeah, we'd really appreciate it. So we love you. We appreciate you. And as always, be rad. That's the way
time where I just needed some sunshine You were already dead before you became a ghost You always said our future 